Coaches, welcome back. Another episode of the Minnesota Basketball Coaching Podcast. Again, thanks for listening. Uh, this week, we bring in Eastridge head coach Josh Peltier. Coach, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it's been fun listening to so many coaches uh, throughout really the spring and summer here and learn a lot. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. Oh, I'm glad you're here. So first thing first, uh, coaching Wikipedia page, where are you from? Where did you play? And then what led you to Eastridge? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in St. Paul. Um, I went to Creighton Durham Hall. I uh, actually played for Jerry Klein on his first team at Creighton. Um, my junior, he was our assistant before then. Um, then I went on and played at the University of St. Thomas for Steve Fritz and uh, Johnny Tower, who's now the head coach there. Uh, and then I started my coaching uh, actually down in Rosemount, um, right out of college. Um, kind of just wanted to experiment with a little bit and was at Rosemount for four years, was on the sophomore head coach and then turned into the JV um, head coach with that. And then after that, I was coaching with Brian Schnettler um, down there and then he got the job at Wyzetta and I followed Brian out there where I was the varsity assistant for three years and learned a lot out there, just great experience with it. And then uh, three years ago, I actually took over the head job at Egan where I was there for two years and um, competing in the South Suburban uh, Conference. And then this last year came and took over um, at Eastridge for our first year there. What was your biggest takeaway uh, from a coaching perspective playing at St. Thomas? You know, I think just the team, at, the team aspect and really everybody has their role and um, just kind of the, the process and putting the work in with all that. Also, I, mean, I think there's a lot of stuff outside of basketball. I mean, Coach Fritz, you know, instills some values that I still kind of, I still try to, you know, instill with our program today. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of things bigger than basketball and, you know, really focus on family and academics. And then basketball really came third with all of that. So kind of the process in basketball, but also um, kind of the, the bigger things outside of hoops. Um, and I mean, I played with some great players. So just fun to see how they approached every day. And, um, you know, it was just that team aspect was so important there. Then you were with Coach Schnettler in two different spots. Obviously, you must have thought highly of him as a coach when you moved with him from Rosemont to Wyzetta, uh, across the metro there. So what were some of the big things you learned being on Coach Schnettler's staff? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of two big things are in our pillars in our, in our program today is, you know, player experience, kind of, you know, the bigger things outside of basketball and, you know, player development. I think he's probably, if not the best, one of the best, you know, skill development coaches in the state and really putting an emphasis on that and every day in practice, you know, working on it. I mean, there, there's days where we'll be shooting for, you know, two thirds of practice and, you know, that skill development piece was so, so important. And it's interesting looking back when we were at St. Thomas, we didn't do a ton of that, but it's, I think basketball's evolved so much over the past really 10, 12 years with, you know, that being even more of an emphasis, but, you know, I, I think Brian just does a great job with the skill development piece and also offensively. I mean, I, when I was with him, I, I ran our defense um, at Wyzetta and um, we had some battles in practice where he'd be trying to, you know, poke holes in our defense and we'd be trying to slow their offense down. Um, but really, um, you know, the offensive piece and the skill development was really what I took away and are, are just so important that we do every day at Eastridge. So you made the move from Egan to Eastridge. Like you mentioned, this is, will be your second year as head coach there. Obviously taking over a school with some Division One talent and just finished fourth place to say it isn't always the jobs that are open, uh, especially in the Metro. Usually those jobs when you have talent, when you're good and then you have talent staying there. Um, the coaches usually ride that one out. So talk about what some of your first steps were when you knew, when you knew you're stepping into a program with some already established varsity talent. Uh, so what were some things that you looked to keep? And then also some of the things that you looked to put your own, um, your own flavor on. 
Yeah, I mean, the first step always in coming into a program is connecting with the kids and building those relationships. I mean, last summer was um, an awesome summer for us. It was just being in the gym and getting to know what, you know, what matters to these kids outside of basketball and really building that relationship. And I remember days where I'd be in there with, with Ben, uh, who's obviously now at Wisconsin, and, you know, Kendall and Drew and just our whole program and just kind of getting to know them on a different level and kind of build that trust that's so important that can allow me to push them um, in season and now you know we're coming out of the off season as well so that was that was kind of the first thing and then kind of going back to kind of the the main things that we focus on is that skill development piece and we just need to be better in all facets and you know we had a great team last year but i'll tell you that i think if we had were even up a little more in the skill skill development area um we could have even gone a little further with that and uh so i we just keep coming back to you know pushing that development you know all things like that so those are the, the relationships were number one um, and just getting to know those kids on a personal level and then also just pushing that skill development piece. So you mentioned, obviously, Carlson's going to Wisconsin. You got the senior here, I think, I believe, uh, uh, just came into Winona State, correct? And then yep. you have uh, Kendall, obviously, you probably have Division One offers, will be Division One basketball player. So I, I'm always intrigued that someone who hasn't had a, um, you know, a scholarship level player in my eight years at Princeton um, what are some ways that you are able to differentiate and challenge those high-level players uh, on a day-to-day basis in your program? Well, I think first and foremost, they make us look a lot better as better coaches than, than we maybe are. You know, um, I had some really, really talented players and skilled players when I was at Egan that really bought in and played really hard for us. Um, and then obviously coming over here, you walk in and there's, you know, talent everywhere you look and also size, which is um, – you know, is, is a huge piece of that. And it's, I think once again, it comes back to that relationship. They need to trust you to know how I'm going to push them and I'm going to hold them accountable. And, you know, there's times where I need to, this last season, I had to get on Ben and um, really push him as our best player. Um, but also there's times where I had to pull him aside and remind him that he is our best player. And, you know, the expectations of when he walks on the floor is to believe in himself. And same with Kendall and, and Drew and everybody that we have is just, you know, have confidence and believe in yourself when you walk out there. So whether it's a kid that's going to Wisconsin or a kid that might never play or he's going to play, you know, football, at, you know, Nolan Gates was a senior for us last year. They'll play football at St. Thomas and just kind of have them believe in themselves, believe in their role and, um, you know, have the team will, will flourish with all of that. What would you say your strengths are, strengths are as a coach? Yeah, you know, I, I think relationship building is number one with all that. Um, and then secondly, you know, when it comes to, to, you know, game practice, you know, game prep, I think is, is a huge piece that we look at, you know, defensively, like that's, that's where I was, you know, when I was at Wyzetta and really has been the focus that I've had the last three years at Egan and then Eastridge is really preparing to make things difficult um, defensively on our opponents. Um, so, so that as well as, you know, giving our kids enough to be, you know, a threat in the game, but also I don't want to overwhelm them with, you know, tendencies and what to expect, um, when it comes to in-game stuff. So I think game prep is, is one thing like that, but also, you know, I'm, I'm big on collaboration and, you know, with our staff, especially, and we want to have those guys, you know, have a voice. I remember when I was uh, an assistant and I, I was given a voice and that allowed me to grow as a coach. And I think we all have different perspectives. So allow us all to collaborate. Um, then also, you know, there's the non-negotiables that we have. And the thing that we do not accept is lack of effort. You know, we, we have at the top of our whiteboard before every game is be the hardest working team in the gym. And that will never change. Um, and if we have that, um, I think everything else will fall into place with it. But, you know, I think, you know, to, to wrap up is just kind of the game prep is, is something that we really focus on as well as kind of setting those expectations and, you know, what we're trying to do and put our guys in a spot to, to go out and succeed.
I do want to hit on game prep. I have this down the road here on a little bit because I think that's something that as obviously as we're inching towards hopefully a, a season starting here in a couple months, I think that's something that coaches can definitely um, maybe they're in that mode where they're reflecting with their staff or they're talking about ways that they can better prepare their uh, prepare their kids. And with us probably having a shortened season, it would be nice to talk about that here uh, down the road uh, in a few minutes. But I want to, you mentioned effort with your non-negotiables. I want to talk, um, are there any, is there anything else that you guys have that uh, maybe it's, you know, you, you mentioned the core values with um, being when you're at St. Thomas and coach with coach Nettler, uh, but you mentioned non-negotiables. Is there anything else that your core values and or other non-negotiables you guys have in your program? Yeah. I mean, um, it, it comes back to that team aspect and we have to put the team first in everything we do. Um, so really that in effort really go, go hand in hand as well as, you know, we have that expectation of communication and every kid communicates differently, but we as a team need to know um, how we're all going to communicate and be on the same page. We can't have five different guys, you know, going in five different directions. So we, we really stress that, that team first um, culture and atmosphere and um, that everybody has, everybody has a role and everybody has value on our team, whether it's our best player or down to, you know, our 18th guy that might just be a, a, a real pivotal piece in practice that helps our varsity prepare um, for the upcoming game. It's everybody has a role and, you know, buy into that and roles can change throughout a year. And I think that's something that we talk about a lot is that your role on, you know, on Thanksgiving is might be different than it is come March 1st and to embrace your role, but always be willing to adjust with that as well. But every role comes back to putting the team first and whether that's making an extra pass, taking a charge, um, diving on the floor for loose balls. Um, those things are just intangibles that I think that can really differentiate ourselves when it comes to a game and maybe allow us to win those extra possessions that, you know, especially in March, it comes down to one, two, three possessions. And in this last season, we lost on a buzzer beater, you know, in the section finals. And, you know, we didn't lose it on that possession. We probably lost it maybe on a loose ball in the first half or a turnover, you know, at some point in the game as well. But um, really kind of buying into your role and, and lastly, you know, we, we talk about going one and knowing everything, you know, and, and by the end of the year, it gets to go and one and know every possession. Um, and, um, you know, early on, it's more, let's go one and know today. You know, it's not going to be always pretty, but let's get better with this. And um, towards the end of the year, we want to be, you know, detail oriented every single possession so that um, it can put ourselves, if we stack those, those possessions on top of each other, that, you know, we can have some success and usually the results take care of itself. I like that go one and one every everything that you guys do. I wrote that down. That's a good. That's good, and that really makes it simple for kids. I know you hear uh, in the playoffs, obviously one game at a time, or especially if you're struggling, let's win the first half or whatever. But I think that's good to try to you know focus on winning everything from the loose balls to getting open shots to winning the free throw battle, turnover battle, whatever the case may be. Uh, I'm at a school where we don't cut. Uh, we haven't had to cut. We don't really have the numbers. We, sometimes we maybe have a kid or two that. Uh, is there's a big gap, but it's just not in a situation where we're going to cut a kid. Obviously, that's not going to be the case with your program. And you mentioned having some of those, you know, seniors who are more role player, scout team type guys. So what goes into uh, your guys' roster formation and then also selling those players 9, 10, 11, 12 that maybe um, maybe you don't keep those types of seniors around. But if you do, what, how do you sell them on being part of the team and making them feel valuable? You know, I think it comes with a lot of like one-on-one -on -one conversations, you know, once the team is, is, um, is, is, you know, reiterating, Hey, this is where I think you can really fit for us. And that could be a game by game basis. You know, some, some nights we need a guy that's going to be a defensive stopper and just go out and, you know, bust their butt chasing somebody around the court. Um, or it could be someone that's going to hey, facilitate more or, or something like that. But it's really kind of those ongoing conversations and it could be just quick, 
you know, 10 seconds in practice, say, Hey, you know, and just praising some things like, Hey, that's what we're looking to do. You know, um, you know, effort, things like that. Um, but I think it comes back to that communication piece and just, um, making them aware as well as having open communication lines. Um, kids often have questions. It's like, Hey, come to us and we'll, we'll talk through it. And I always say, you might not always, you know, like what we're going to hear, but we're going to be honest with you and, and give you some areas that can improve. And, you know, this last year we had a couple guys that, um, really, you know, maybe had an up and down season, but they kept plugging away and working at it. And it was fun to see them flourish towards the end of the year in, in big moments. And I have to think it's from some of those conversations we had and also learning from some of those, uh, those times where you fail. And I think that's a great opportunity to, to reflect and also say, Hey, what can I do differently going forward? And I think oftentimes it comes back to, you know, the effort piece, you know, I'm never going to rip a kid for, you know, missing a layup or a free throw or something like that. I don't think any coach in our state will, but um, you know, it's, you know, pointing out and them being pretty clear on what we will expect and what we'll hold them accountable to. And um, so just that those open communication lines um, to open them up to that. And that sometimes starts in the summer. I mean, there's kids that are coming in that maybe might be in the bubble. I think it's important that we communicate that. So there's not, you know, super, you know, big surprises come, come November when the team is made or maybe we, when we start, you know, handing out roles and things like that. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make. When the kids don't, you know, it's the fear of the unknown is almost worse than actually knowing where they stand. So, like you said, a kid comes to the summer program and you're working on, maybe you're doing team stuff, and you have that conversation when he's on the side, like, hey, you're, right now, you're player 13, like, you really got to, we need to see you hit open shots and work a little bit harder on defense if you want to make the team. So, like you said, it doesn't come November or maybe, maybe January this year where it's like, hey, we don't got a spot for you. I think that's really important. I think that's a great point that you bring up. Um, it'll be interesting. Sorry, just to add. No, go that. yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting how this year goes because you know in the summer typically we're playing in some breakdown tournaments or going to team camps and things like that. Where this summer we were you know isolated to our own our own gym, and you know we're looking at ways that we can be creative to have those you know you know conversations leading into tryouts um, and whenever that might be. But um, this year is a little unique with all of that, and I think just if we keep focused on communicating with these kids, and um, you know I think good things will happen because of that. I think you make good, another good point there. We've had the conversation with our staff of not having summer tournaments. Like I said, we're not, we're not in a position to cut guys. But we're in a spot where guy 12 might think they're guy seven and guy 10 might think they're guy five. So just being able to play outside competition gives you that opportunity to be like, hey, you really struggled in the last six, two games or the last two breakdown tournaments we played in. So, you know, right now here's where you're at, whereas you have that data to say, hey, you're struggling. But now with coaches not having that offseason to be like, there really isn't that data to support Obviously, coaches know, and you can justify ABC from practice, but I do think that kids almost need to see that against an outside competition. So I think that'll definitely be a challenge that coaches face uh, here in the next couple months. Yeah, and I think I think you're hitting right there. Competition is is good. Like we want more competition in our in our program, and I I think um, sometimes kids might shy away from that, but I think if we can get these kids to embrace, you know, competing every day in practice, um, you know, competing in the weight room, things like that can go a long ways, and um, you know, everybody can get their shot that way. And we'll, we'll be a better team because of that competition, um, whether you're playing or you have a, a vital role off the bench. You said a magical phrase there that I actually wasn't going to bring up, but since you mentioned, it, I want to talk about it because I've gotten a few little pushback from other coaches or people. And I've mentioned our teams don't lift. We don't lift during the season. Uh, and I say that with an asterisk that some of our kids, uh, one of our players, dad is an assistant football coach. So we, whenever we're done with practice, he'll take whoever wants to, and lift. So the kids who want to lift are lifting. Um, but we don't do any team related lifting stuff. We focus on the core. We focus in the classroom. And I guess our philosophy is if they haven't lifted for six months, 
I don't want them to have to lift during the season. They kind of are who they are at that point. So talk about your guys' lifting program, how important it is to your program, and then kind of what that looks like in season, out of season. Yeah, you know, I think it's every time of the year is a little different, you know, in season, out of season, stuff like that. Um, and everything's optional. I, I think we've, there's a culture that's been built here with kind of the expectation of getting in the weight room. And um, so everybody knows that's, that's kind of what it is. When the freshmen come in, they see the upperclassmen in there um, pushing themselves um, with all this. This falls a little unique because our kids only can actually lift on their hybrid days. So it's um, not ideal where we can't have our whole program together, but obviously during a pandemic, nothing's going to be you know, normal with that. So, you know, in season we're lifting, we start off lifting three days a week, um, usually typically through end of the year or maybe into early January, then we'll taper back to about two days a week um, with that. And then we'll also, you know, we listen to our kids and, and kind of how their bodies are feeling. And if we have a three game week, we'll probably pull it back a little more. Maybe we'll do some more stretching or, um, or yoga or something like that to um, kind of re help their bodies recover. And really, I think by the end of the year, we look at, you know, the weight room as a place for our guys to, they're not really gaining strength, they're maintaining, but also just help with that recovery process. Um, and then we go into the off season and, you know, we give them options. Uh, it's typically three days a week where they'll lift before school. Um, and it's all optional. And obviously we, we have some multi-sport kids that are either lifting with their teams or not lifting during those seasons. But I think it's just important to, to give kids opportunities. And if, if the opportunity is there, whether it's in the weight room, getting to the gym for open gym, skill development, all things like that, um, I'm a big believer in just give them more and more opportunities. And I think the program will continue to succeed. And then obviously going into the summer, um, we have an organized speed and strength for our whole school that we have, you know, a basketball time slot. But, you know, as long as the kids are lifting um, and, you know, getting stronger, you know, getting faster, all that stuff. I don't really care where they do it, you know, as long as our, our programs improve, I'm a believer in doing it together. But if the time doesn't work, just get the work in on your own. And I think our program will succeed that way. Good transition into uh, the next thing I want to talk about. You mentioned skill development is a big part of uh, what you learned from coach Schnettler and what you've tried to install at Egan and at Eastridge uh, within your practices. Talk about what a normal practice looks like. You know, you're through the tryout window. Now you're, maybe on your Tuesday, Friday game schedule. So what does that Wednesday or that Thursday um, practice look like in a normal, you know, maybe dog days of January or late December, uh, obviously not during the pandemic when, you know, in normal scheduling, but like, what does that look like? You're, again, right. You're through tryouts, rosters are formed. What does the practice look like for you? Yeah. And I will say, I think at different points in the season, it looks differently. I think early on, it's a lot more implementation and repping kind of what we're looking to do offensive and defensively. So maybe we're doing, a little less skill development early on. Um, but typically we'll start with some full court warmups. I'm a big believer in doing warmups with a basketball in your hand. Um, and so we'll, we'll get some shooting in, some ball handling, some, some team drills, transition drills that we'll go through there. And then we'll typically break down. Um, and breakdowns throughout the year can be different. Sometimes we'll break up JV and varsity where the JV will come with me for a little while and, and we'll work on some scout team stuff that we'll be you know, repping later in practice against the varsity. So we'll walk through that stuff. And then the varsity will come down and we'll work on how we're going to guard that in, you know, typical three on three, you know, um, small sided games with all of that. So typically there's, there's a breakdown and sometimes we'll do post guard breakdowns, things like that. It all depends on kind of what's going on. Um, and then we'll go into some full court stuff and um, big, you know, whole parts, whole type things. So we'll, we'll introduce kind of what the, the end goal is. We'll break it down, whether it's two on two, three on three, four on four, or maybe we'll give the, you know, defense a disadvantage, um, four on three, things like that. Then we'll come back and work on that. So we'll typically have, you know, offensive time of 
10 or 15 minutes. Then we'll go defensive time for 10 or 15 minutes. And then depending how long we're going with practice there, we'll usually go up and down for a little bit. Um, but I think sometimes um, I prefer to have kind of those breakdown sessions more. We'll have less up and down with all that. So, um, and then as the year goes on, we probably flip it more. Where we're probably going 70% skill development in practice and we're spending 30% on, you know, refining some of our offense and defensive stuff, but also a lot of game prep. Um, and, you know, with, with Cohen Tuesday, Friday, or even sometimes Tuesday, Thursday, that, that Friday game can come up pretty quickly um, after your, your Wednesday night games, or I'm sorry, your Tuesday night games. So, um, and usually for bigger games, we'll, we'll start prepping on Wednesday. Some, some games we'll just do one day a game prep with all of that. And Wednesday, I often look, you know, later in the season is we're starting to put some things and then we'll use in the section. So things that we might not show, you know, the second time around through conference, what we want to have in our back pocket for sections, we'll use Wednesday. Um, Cause Wednesday also, I mean, at that point in the year, it could be more of a recovery as well. So guys are getting dinged up and you want to manage some time in practice where, but I think it's starting to introduce, you know, some sideline out of bounds based on out of bounds stuff, maybe some situational defensive, you know, schemes that we'll do. Um, we, I mean, we worked on some zone last year, you know, you know, that we didn't use really most of the year. And then we pulled it out late in the year, just really because of matchups that it, it was a better fit for us. Um, so um, I know I'm kind of going on a little bit here, but oh, I think good. every time of the year it, it's different. And early on, it's a lot more implementation, probably some more offense, defense focused stuff. And um, usually by February 1st, we're flipping that and it's, you know, 70% skill development at, at minimum. And, um, but I mean, I will say also at the beginning of the year, we encourage our guys when we're not getting as, as many shots up as we need to, hey, stay after practice or come in the morning, you know, come, you know, if you have an open, you know, hour during school, you know, come down and just get some shots up and, and work on some of that skill development piece that maybe we can't do in, um, in practice just because of some time restrictions or just the focus needs to be on more implementation stuff. Putting you on the spot here. What's your favorite shooting drill? You mentioned shooting is a big part of what you do. Uh, what's your favorite shooting drill that you can share? Now I don't know if Mark Klingsborn's listening, so I don't know if you want him to see it or not, <laughs> but uh, what's your favorite shooting drill that you guys do? I'm sure Klinger's got something better to do than <laughs> but um, that's a good, you know, one that uh, I have to give our assistant Justin Lorraine credit for. It's called catch up shooting. And you have two sets of two sets of two kids at each hoops. So you have a rebounder and a shooter in each pair. And the shooter starts, one shooter starts in the corner and one shooter starts in the opposite slot. And the shooting spots are in the four spots. So it's corner, slot, slot, and corner. And you want to catch the person in front of you. So you're going, you know, clockwise with that. So if you make your shot in the corner, you then move to the, you know, the near slot. And if you make a slot, and um, it really, it's, it kind of, you know, gets the competition going and our kids love doing it. Um, it's also um, a conditioning drill. I mean, if, as they get going, they got to be flying around the court with all that. So you're just trying to catch the person in front of you. And we'll, we'll primarily shoot that from three. I mean, if we do a warm up sometime, we'll start from 15 feet, but um, you know, it's, it's just, like I said, the kids love it and we'll put, you know, six, seven minutes on the clock and they just keep going. Um, you know, if, if, if someone wins the drill, the, the two that were rebounding come out and they shoot and they just alternate back and forth there. But um, like I said, it's one that the kids really love. And I, I'm a believer if the kids are enjoying the drill, it's something we should be doing more of. And I think, the competition piece is part of, part of what they really appreciate with that drill. I'm going to throw you on the spot one more drill-related question. So if, you know, say you were to ghost teach or ghost coach someone's team, right, or guest coach someone's team, and you had 10 minutes, what's one, what's the drill you're going to have, you're going to have that team go through? That's a good question. 
Um, I've never asked that one. It's like the 41st one. I've never asked that one. I'm trying to get new material here for anyone. <laughs> probably maybe just my dad's the only one who listens to all of these, but um, just <laughs> um, some new material. So what would be the one drill you'd throw at, you know, you're going, you're coaching Woodbury for a day or you're coaching um, North St. Paul for a day or what would you, what drill would you run? Uh, I don't know if I could, I could match coach Getzloff at Woodbury. So I, it'll be somewhere else probably, but what I would do, and this is probably later in the season, this is a drill that, once again, you know, I, I stole this past season, but it's called perfect possession. And, um, you know, by the time, you know, January, February, March comes around, the team should know, you know, what our expectations and our roles are defensively. So what it is is we put two minutes on the clock and the defense cannot make a mistake in terms of how we guard things. And if we're going to, you know, go hip pocket on screens, if we're going to go under ball screens, whatever that might be, they have to do that perfectly for two minutes. And now if the offense scores, but we still guard it perfectly, the clock still goes. But if we make a mistake, and it could be not boxing out or, um, you know, like I said, not, going, not guarding a screen correctly, uh, we'll stop the clock, put two minutes back on the clock, and we got to go again. And um, one of the things I love about it is it really, everybody on the team gets into it. Now, offensive, the offense that's going, they want to score. Um, but, you know, if, they're on, if you're on the sidelines, they're, they're cheering for their teammates, they're, they're pumping up, they're also talking through situations um, that kind of hopefully simulates when they're on the bench, maybe, hey, even though you're on the bench, you need to be actively engaged. So um, that's a drill that, like I said, I just got it this year and, and I love it. And it's probably not one that you do on day one because you're still implementing things, but it's something that we did um, about once a week coming uh, late into the season this last year, just to make sure that we were so focused and detail oriented on every single movement we had defensively. What I really like about that is something that you mentioned is that it doesn't, if the team scores and you're not doing everything well, that it doesn't hurt them because there's really good players and you, you guys play scholarship level kids almost every night in your league and in your section. So it, it's important to like, shit, you guys can have a good defensive possession and the team's going to score. And I think just out and also teaching that concept too. Cause I think sometimes kids just, Oh, well, we're working hard. I worked my butt off and they still scored. Why even work hard on defense? But it just instilling that I think is, I, I'm guessing you've probably seen um, a return on that investment. hundred percent. I mean, I'll give you last year in the section finals, we, we guarded the last second shot that Creighton hit and the base out of bounds, exactly how we talked about it in the timeout. And now it was kind of where the ball trickled away and they, they got it, you know, around, you know, the volleyball line and fired up a three and they made it. But everything up until the shot going in was exactly what we talked about. And you kind of got to accept that. And, you know, obviously that hurt at the time, but reflecting back and how we guarded, you know, just the actual, the action in the base out of bounds is exactly what we asked. And that's all you can ask for at that point. Let's talk about game prep. What goes into uh, – I'm guessing you're probably scouting Creighton-Durham Hall different than um, 500 conference-level team when you play them. So what, what goes into a normal regular season scout, and then how does that change when you're getting ready for the playoffs? Yeah, you know, we'll meet here in October, early November, and kind of put together our scouting schedule. And this year, once again, it's a little unique. We don't know exactly the schedule. But um, with every section opponent, I ask that our, every member of our varsity staff sees them live once. And now we'll get a lot of film exchange, but I think there's something valuable of being in a gym, hearing those calls, seeing how they react to them. And then we get all of our perspective. And that comes back to what I said earlier, is that I want our staff to collaborate. And um, you might see something differently, different when Tartan goes and plays North St. Paul. I'm live and opposed when Tartan goes and plays South St. Paul um, or vice versa or Creighton with that. Um, obviously in our section, it's, you, you know, we're fortunate that there's five conference schools in our section. So we see them twice already. Um, but we want to see those guys live as much as possible with that. So it really starts, 
you know, December 1st. And the breakdowns are always great because you can go out and see five, six teams that are going to play throughout the year um, play on one day and just kind of start that process of, okay, let's get some tendencies. Let's, you know, what are they doing, you know, late game? What's their first play out of halftime? Come on, you know, see if we can get things that way. Um, and then it kind of snowballs from there where we're just kind of catching up on teams. And typically, you know, by the time we're playing a team a second time around, we know pretty much what they're looking to do, what their purpose is. And it's all how can we tweak things or give them a different look, maybe off a ball screen or post defense or, um, you know, maybe we're switching or not switching some situations like that. But um, kind of throughout the year, we, we want to see teams as much as possible. I mean, we probably saw Creighton play. I don't know, 20 times last year. And we're fortunate we have conference film exchange so we can watch all those games with that. So that's kind of the, the scouting piece. And then uh, what we typically do is I assign one assistant for, for each game. Um, so if we play White Bear on a Tuesday and we play Stillwater on a Friday, um, I'm going to watch all those teams play, but I also want to have a point person that I go to. So, um, you know, we'll usually connect for Tuesday games over the weekend, you know, on Saturday or Sunday. Um, and really get that game plan finalized. Um, and then, you know, for a Friday game, we'll usually kind of after the game on, on Tuesday, or even sometimes they'll send over stuff, you know, during Tuesday where we have the game Tuesday night, but we're already starting to, at least as a staff, prepare for if we need to do some, t some things in practice on Wednesday or if Wednesday can be more of a skill development day and we kind of have a recovery day with that and kind of where we're planning out the rest of it. So um, it's nice to have, you know, people just to talk, you know, hey, situationally, hey, we saw them do this. How do we want to guard that? And, um, you know, identify some of those tendencies that we really want to take away. And so it really is a group effort. Um, you know, I, I think that we, we all have to, you know, put our ideas out and, you know, I'll make a final decision, but it's, it's really valuable to hear things through. And also, fortunately for us, you know, Justin Lorang, who's our, our varsity assistant, is in the building. So during our preps, him and I are, you know, are popping down and just walking through situations. And you know, I remember last year we were talking through matchups, you know, two weeks before we were playing a team, but it was just, how do we want to, you know, make adjustments, you know, going a second time through. So it's a, it's a full year focus, but um, you know, week to week, it's, it's good that we kind of have a schedule that we're sitting to. So they're sticking to, so, you know, on Saturday or Sunday, we're finalizing Tuesday's plan. And then, you know, obviously on Wednesday, we're finalizing Friday's plan with all that. How much do you add versus what do you just tweak within your system when you're preparing for a team? Um, me as a coach three years ago, I probably added too much. Um, and now it's a lot more tweaking. Um, and it's kind of going back to what I said earlier, I want our kids to just go out and play and I don't want them thinking out there a lot. And if we're going to add things and even this last year, there's times where I made mistakes and we tried to add things quickly that, that didn't work out. And in hindsight, it's like, just trust our team. And, you know, you try to get almost too cute with things at times, but um, I'd say it's a lot more tweaking or it's maybe things we've been working on in practice that we haven't shown in a game that will, you know, maybe it would be a surprise for some people, but you know, it's things that we've been kind of planning and preparing for, um, for a few weeks with that. Last thing on game prep. Uh, when you're, you know, you're watching film, you know, you're probably getting film broken down. You're looking at stats and tendencies. Uh, how much do you share with your kids in person versus assigning it maybe through huddle and say, hey, go watch these 75 clips that we clipped up? How much are you putting on the kids' plate versus just what you're saying, hey, we've watched the film. This is what we need to do versus them. We don't give them anything. We, we, it's all in the classroom. Um, and I, I'm a believer in keeping it simple where we'll do 20 to 30 clips at most in a day. Um, just kind of what are those top five things? And we'll, we'll have a keys to the game and we'll never have more than five keys to a game. And sometimes it's two or three. 
Um, but um, it's simplifying it for them, but also showing them what it's going to look like when the game comes with that. So um, we typically meet, you know, at least the day before a game to go over film and, and go through, you know, individual tendencies and maybe some sets they're going to run with all of that. Um, and now for bigger games, we'll probably start on, you know, if it's a Friday game, we'll start on Wednesday, kind of working through some of that. And obviously later in the season, um, we'll, we'll have more time, you know, in sections to, to spend some more time on that. But also I don't want to overwhelm them. And like I said, get them thinking too much where it's kind of getting the pulse of your team. And after maybe you have, you know, three days off between a game and you've been watching film the first day and the guys are kind of grasping it. Maybe we take that second day off and then come back and revisit it on the, the third day with that. But to answer the, you know, the question that you came with, it's, it's all stuff that we're going to give them in the classroom setting. You know, if they want to go on and look on their own, I, I'm fully supportive of that, but it's never going to be, Hey, you guys go watch these, you know, 60 clips and, you know, come prepared for tomorrow. Um, I just par partially, it's kind of how, um, how, when I was playing, that's what I liked. And I kind of like to pass that along a little bit. And also I think it's working a little bit for that. So I don't want to overwhelm them. Just give them the, the most important key areas that we want to watch um, and be prepared for um, in the classroom. And then we go out and then obviously practice out on the court, you know, in game prep. Last thing I want to talk about is defense. You mentioned that when you were in YZ, you were running the defense. And you mentioned that's something that you've, you're very passionate about and that you've really tried to, you know, put your touch on uh, at Eastridge. So just to start, what is your defense philosophy? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. Um, you know, I know the trend right now is, you know, you want to you don't give up threes and you don't want to give up layups. So a lot of the things that we're doing defensively is we're trying to, you know, force teams into that mid-range um, where, you know, analytics will tell us it's probably the, the lowest percentage shot in terms of points per possession you can get in basketball right now. So a lot of the things we're doing is, you know, taking teams off the three-point line. Um, as well as, you know, not giving up, you know, straight line drives for layups and things like that. So that's kind of the base of it. And, you know, kind of trickling down from that, we do mostly man is, is what we did. Now, last year, um, we went some zone and it really was pro mostly personnel dependent. And I will say offensively, defensively, um, that's really kind of a main thing. I, was interested. I listened to Mike McDonald last week on your podcast, and they're very much they're, you know, they have what works for their program and they're so successful. He's almost got 500 wins. Um, and I, I'm a little different in the terms of, you know, we're going to do what is best for our, you know, personnel and not that he doesn't do that, but you know, they have their system that run that they run and they are really good at it as you, you know, you see multiple times a year in your conference, but I'm very open to, you know, what is the best thing for our personnel? So like last year, you know, we knew that we were going to be going up against, you know, a Cretan, a Tartan, um, a Woodbury in sections probably. And we were playing, you know, so we started three kids over six, seven last year and Cretan had, you know, four, you know, really quick guards that we had to account for. And um, we wanted to try to take the, the pain away with that. So we went some more zone and um, it was successful for us, you know, in our last game of the regular season to win the conference. And then we, we mix it in a little bit in the sections with that. But um, I think it comes back to, you know, doing what's best for your personnel. Um, last year also when we would play, man, we, we knew we had Ben Carlson back there to clean up rebounds as well as to protect the rim. So we could maybe take some more chance on the perimeter. Um, and once again, that's, if we don't have Ben, we probably make some, some adjustments with that. So um, like I said, you know, force teams into that mid range. Um, I do, you know, we do a good amount of switching, but it's all, you know, take teams, you know, give them, make them go to their second, third, fourth option and take that first option away. When you switch, are you guys saying, Hey, we're switching all screens with 
these three and we're going to stick on these two and we're going to fight on these two so our best defenders maybe stay on their best players? Or are you switching, hey, I think I'm beat, call the switch out. What is, so I guess what is your switching philosophy? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it, it depends on <laughs> the game. Um, and so, you know, it could be personnel. Like, so say if we have, maybe we're playing, we have two bigs that we're playing. And then we have, you know, three smaller guards that can handle, you know, guys in the perimeter as well as, you know, who we're going against. Um, you know, last year we didn't really want to switch a lot when we were going up against Dane Danger. Um, we didn't want to get one of our little guards on him because, um, you know, he's a great you know, low post player with all that. So um, it depends on, on personnel with that, not, not kind of punt on that, but um, you know, it, it really depends game to game with that. Some games we'll switch one through five and we have, we have calls in game that we'll make adjustments with and at different times of a, of a game or a half, you know, we like to, you know, mix it up and you know, like I said, really make teams go to their second, third, fourth option with all that. And I think um, switching can really do that and, you know, get, put us in a spot to succeed with that. Ball screen defense, obviously most of everyone, especially teams with high-level talent, they run a lot of high ball screen for their guards or their wings. That's the way the game's going is if it's a Euro ball screen continuity, if it's spread mid pick and roll, uh, whatever the case may be, how are you guys defending pick and rolls? Do you have a set coverage that we're doing no matter what? Or do you have like a secondary and a third action or a third coverage that you'll uh, throw at a team, you know, especially second time through the conference or in the second half of the game? I'm a believer in mixing it up. And now we won't show everything early, um, but I think just keeping teams um, off balance. I thought last year I did a really poor job in our first time against Creighton where we didn't keep Trey Holloman off balance. Um, and they were running a lot of ball screens for him and he was getting downhill and we were kind of in the, doing the same thing over and over. And um, I'm big on kind of mixing it up, whether, you know, I'm not a big hard hedge guy, um, partially because our philosophy is trying to get teams into that mid range area. Um, so we'll trap, we'll switch. Um, we have a call we call spy where we're going to go over the top and kind of sink on that a little bit and for allow them into the mid range. And I know probably Jerry and, and Kent Gatzloff and, and Klinger are taking notes right now on that one. But you know, it, it's, if you watch us play, you know, once or twice, you're gonna see that we're gonna mix those up a little bit, but, um, we, we haven't iced a lot. We tried it a little bit last year and Partially, you know, it's not something that I'm super comfortable with and I want to put our guys in a spot to succeed. And I didn't feel like I was doing that with that. So we do mix it up. Um, I, I think we'd like to switch a lot as well. But once again, it's all personnel dependent. It's funny you mentioned ice coverage and this just thought I've had probably three or four other coaches mention ice coverage on here and I've never had this thought. But we run a lot of high ball screen stuff and we've seen everything in different coverages. And I just feel like the last couple of years we haven't seen ice as much. And I think a lot of coaches were watching Timberwolves games and hearing Tibbs yell out ice over and over again. Everyone was trying to do it, but I think that's a really tough one at the high school level to run. Uh, I think when you get in collegiately and you have better athletes, stronger guys, a little more length, I think you can get away with it, but I think it gets tricky at the high school level. Um, when you're yeah. trapping, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. You can respond to that. No, I think it takes a lot of time to get good at it and you got to be committed to, Hey, this is, we're going to ice everything. And um, some teams are really good at it. And it's just something that we, we haven't found, maybe we haven't found a need for it. I'm not saying that we couldn't have success with it, but um, I think mixing it up with our different, you know, looks and, you know, you know like last year, I'll give you an example, uh, going against Eastview and Stephen Crowell. Like we, we didn't want to leave, lose contact with Stephen because he's such a great shooter from the perimeter. So we would, we had kind of a situational um, call that we put in for that game to stay attached to him. And um, so, like I said, there's so many different looks you can give off ball screens and, Icing just, I think it takes a lot of practice and it's very much a feel um, and recognition to get your footwork right that we just, you know, we haven't gone that way. And like I said, some teams are really good at it and 
credit to those coaches for, you know, putting a lot of time in and, and being great with it. But we, we've kind of gone a different direction with, with our ball screen coverage. I think if you're able to break down an ice coverage, it creates the biggest advantage for the offense. If you, if, if it's, but if you bust a switch coverage, you know, maybe that guy comes off for a clean three. And if a guy's shooting 45%, that's a highly efficient shot. But I think if you get, if you blow an ice coverage, you're looking at potentially a five on three or a lot of, you're, you're really scrambled. So I think like, to your point, why it is challenging and why it takes a lot of time. Now, you know, I know St. Thomas runs a lot of ice coverage and I've seen some, I've been watching some Mayak film this off season. They do a really good job in their ice coverage, obviously, because they have the dudes for it and they're able to put a lot of time into it, do it well. Um, but I want to talk when you guys, uh, when you guys do, you know, trap the ball screen, what do your rotations look like on the backside? Do you have a set like, Hey, this is where we're helping from, or is it dependent on personnel? It's personnel dependent. Um, obviously, you know, if there's a, a knockdown shooter that we got to stay with, we'll stay there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, every, every game's a little different with that. So that's kind of where that game prep comes in, you know, one or two days before we'll talk through it all and be very clear of who we're rotating off of. And um, also, you know, sometimes, you know, if there's someone we're helping off of on the ball side, we maybe won't trap it, but we're kind of already putting a second defender to slow that, that drive coming off the ball screen with it. But yeah, it's all, it's all personal personnel dependence. And, you know, probably by the end of the year, it's, you know, we have, there's two or three looks that we'll give with that, but um, every game's different and we're kind of every team positions, maybe the guy that they're trying to cover up in a different spot. So um, that's where we, we need to do our homework before to figure out where we can put our kids in the best spot to succeed. Coach, anything else you want to add before we wrap up today? No, I, like I said, I appreciate you doing this. It's got me through uh, quarantine back in the spring. So learned a lot and, you know, jotted down a lot of notes. And I think, uh, you know, it just shows the, the level of commitment that our state has at, at all levels, you know, within basketball. And so much to learn from. I mean, I was stealing things left and right in, in the spring and different ideas and tried some this summer as well with all that. So thanks for what you're doing and, and thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad that at least someone's taken the information and applied it to their program. Sometimes I think I'm just talking to an empty void. Uh, when I have people on here, but I do appreciate it. Um, quick, before I wrap up, quick uh, um, announcement. So I do have John Malaya lined up for, for this weekend. So uh, obviously with the meeting on Thursday, October 1st, with what's going to happen with the winter season, I'm going to record with him on Friday. Um, for those listening, make sure to check that one out as well, because I think there's going to be a lot of information. I'll be able to ask John um, some basketball-centric questions uh, on Friday when I record with him. So look forward to that one coming up. Coach Beltier, I appreciate it. Uh, best of luck. Stay safe uh, and have a good season. Hey, thanks, Brett.